market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he has been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy, the Scotsman's politics podcast. I'm Alistair Grant, the Scotsman's political editor, and I'm here with Rachel Amory, the Scotsman's political correspondent and the writer of our brand new politics newsletter, which you can sign up to now on the website, get kind of latest political happenings, the latest political gossip straight into your inbox every weekday morning. Rachel's getting up stupidly early to write this, so it'd be good if people can sign up. And We're currently recording this in the Scotsman's office in the Scottish Parliament on a grey and misty Thursday because Parliament is back after its summer break uh, and Holyrood politics has officially returned with a bit of a, a bit of a bang actually I think. Hamza Yusuf stood up in Holyrood on Tuesday to deliver his programme for government, setting out his legislative agenda for the year ahead. This was a much hyped event I think including by him. Uh, obviously his time in office has been completely dominated by the police investigation into the SNP's finances. He's also faced criticism from those who say it's unclear what he stands for, that he's too cautious, lacking in conviction. Uh, And this was his chance to really, I suppose, set out exactly what he stands for and set out what he wants to achieve in power. And I think some of those headlines were the new measures to improve childcare provision, as well as improving pay for social care staff, for staff in the childcare sector, uh, the First Minister also pledged extra investment in Scottish child payment, but didn't pledge that uplift from £25 a week to £30 a week that uh, a lot of campaigners were calling for. So I think there's some disappointment there. Uh, elsewhere, he promised to expand free school meals to primary six and seven pupils. However, this will not be fully rolled out until 2026. Um, there was a pledge to consult on the curbing of the sale of disposable vapes as well, which again is something that campaigners have been calling for. Um, so Hamza Yusuf very much saying that his plans were unashamedly anti-poverty and pro-growth. I think that latter one quite key as well, as he's obviously attempting to distance himself a little bit from that sturgeon legacy of perhaps not being that friendly to, to business, to, to firms. Um, and him, Hamza Yusuf saying that his driving mission in government is to tackle the scourge of poverty. Now, Scottish Labour calling his proposals tired and rehashed, the Conservatives have accused him, accusing him of offering a Nicola Sturgeon Tribute Act. Rachel, what did you what did you make of it? I know we were straight back into it after the summer recess, um, so it was not an easy start for the week at all for us journalists. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think the speech itself was quite interesting because this is one of the first times that we've had a really sort of sort of focused speech on him um, on what he's planning to do as first minister without the sort of the niggling around his own party internal politics sort of bothering and hampering him it was quite personal he started off by um, speaking about his experience of his grandfather coming from Pakistan to Scotland he also spoke about his own experience of racism and Islamophobia 
And he also ended the speech by talking about his own experience of miscarriage with his wife, Nadia. So a very personal speech. We perhaps saw a bit more about Hamza Yusuf, the person who our first minister actually is behind the scenes, which is quite interesting. In terms of the content, though, um, as you said, those were sort of the main sort of headline figures there and very much trying to focus on tackling poverty in Scotland. Now, there are certain lobby groups, anti-poverty groups, who said that they wish he had gone a bit further. You mentioned there the Scottish Child Payment, for example. But I think it's one of these things where these lobby groups are always going to want more. They're always going to want to go a bit further. I don't think they're ever going to say, actually, yeah, that's going to solve everything. That's all good. They're not going to say that. So perhaps be expected to get that kind of reaction to some of the anti-poverty measures there. But as you said, it has been called not different enough from Nicola Sturgeon. I think one of the newspapers actually had like a Sturgeon as their <laughs> as their headline the next day, actually, which was which gave us a few giggles as well. I think uh, the Sun actually had a mock-up of Hamza Yusuf and Nicola Sturgeon's face kind of merged in this slightly alarming way. Well, you obviously mentioned that criticism from campaign groups and I'm thinking about people like the Poverty Alliance who I think said that they were bitterly disappointed, particularly on those measures uh, relating to child poverty, the Scottish child payment. I think they, they called for that um, for that uplift to £30 a week, but they said that that's you know, at least what should be done. So they obviously in an ideal world would like him to go a lot further. Uh, you're quite right to say that these these groups will always push for more. But do you think that will be a problem for him that his main focus of this programme for government was, you know, tackling poverty and those groups that are devoted to that weren't happy? Well, if you ask Hamza Yusuf, um, the big problem there is devolution and that he's um, stuck with the budget that he's given from Westminster. And he did mention that quite a few times as well, um, both in his programme for government speech and in... Uh, appearances that he's made since then on various um, radio and TV shows. So yeah, I I think it's one of these things where he's always going to say that he can't go any further and that the money's going to have to come from somewhere. So I suppose that's the big problem there, isn't it? Where does the money get cut from elsewhere to give more money there, isn't it? That's always going to be the issue here. And, And on the issue of money, there was obviously quite a lot of coverage of what he might do in relation to tax, income tax. Mm -hmm. Um, so there were hints in the programme for government documents that Hamza Yusuf could look at raising income tax for higher earners. Uh, this idea of this kind of progressive approach is something he's talked about before. He talked about during the, the SNP leadership campaign. He's talked about it since. Um, I think you were on a visit that Hamza Yusuf did in Edinburgh yes. on Wednesday morning, the day after the programme for government, where he was kind of asked about this and uh, addressed some of it. Did you get a sense that that's something he's seriously considering? I'm slightly unsure on that one. I think that was the first sort of thought that a lot of people had after hearing the programme for government. It was all these big promises, all these big pledges as to what's going to be done and all of it costs money. And where does this money come from? In his speech on Tuesday, that was perhaps slightly lacking in detail as to where this money's coming from and what's going to happen when it comes to taxes there. So yes, as you said, he was in Craig Miller with um, Health Secretary Michael Matheson on Wednesday, again, to sort of reflect on the programme for government and just to have a bit more of a sort of chat with journalists um, sort of 24 hours later and after I died down a little bit. Um, and he was, of course, asked about tax and he didn't give any sort of definite answers of, yes, this is what is going to happen. He just sort of said we're committed to a progressive tax system and sort of said, well, wait till the budget and wait to see what Shona Robinson, the finance secretary, does. So we didn't get some very clear answers from him there. He was asked about a wealth tax. 
could that be a solution to getting all this money that is needed? And he said, well, don't rule it off the table. So it is still something that it could be an option in the future. There have been concerns raised about that as well, because um, if the super wealthy, if the tax bans get too big between um, Scotland and England, could they move away? And um, I think it was an ITV um, later on that day, he did address that and say that he knows that there are concerns about that there and that's something that he will have to take into account when he's considering the taxation measures in the future. Yeah, because I think the fact he raised that himself, you almost get the sense that, uh, I mean, this could well be a hint that the their income tax raises down the pipeline, but he could also just be kind of using it as a rhetorical device to stake out his mm. territory as being this kind of you know progressive politician, focus on poverty, but with no real intention to rock the boat too much? Well, certainly right now, that is the case because it's not rocking the boat right now. It was very much, see what happens when it comes to the budget, see what my colleague Shona Robison does, rather than here is what's happening right here now. Yeah, and of course the budget is when these decisions are made, to be fair to him, it's not something you'd you'd outline in the programme for government. I mean, Hamza Yusuf obviously facing an extremely tough time at the moment. I think one of the, the other big issues is the health service, and our health correspondent Joseph Anderson has a has a story in today's Scotsman and Thursday's Scotsman talking about the pressures in the NHS and quite stark warnings actually that the health service is heading for a worse crisis this winter than last winter. I think the Royal College of Emergency Medicine is calling for urgent and significant intervention. How much of a, a worry do you think this should be for, for Hamza Yusuf and I suppose the rest of us as well? I think sort of there's two ways to think about it. My first thought is around this time of year we always get this warning of how bad winter is going to be, how underprepared we are, how much it's going to impact on the NHS. It, it just every year it just seems to get worse and worse and worse and every year we get these warnings so it, it kind of has lost its impact a little bit seeing how bad it's going to be because we hear it all the time day in and day out how bad the NHS is. Um, on the other hand though Last winter was branded the worst winter on record um, by the former First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. It's quite hard to disagree with that because we saw ambulances queuing up outside A&E. We saw more people dying from avoidable deaths because we're waiting around in A&E departments. Lots of different issues happening last winter. And to see the warnings that it's going to be even worse this winter, that, that I mean, you do have to sort of sit up and think about that and think about how to solve these issues. The Royal College of Nursing has said one of the biggest issues is staff vacancies. We know that there's a big problem with the recruitment and retention within the health service right now and also within social care, which if there's more people in social care, more people can be offered social care and then there'll be less people putting pressure on the health service. And In the programme for government, um, as you said earlier, there was this promise to pay social care workers £12 an hour. That won't solve the problem for this winter coming. But, you know, hopefully down the line that will make it a more attractive career for people and in future winters the pressure might be eased by that. But um, it's certainly not going to make a difference for this winter because yeah. it's it's only a few months away, which seems very daft because it's really warm this week. It's very sunny this week. So it feels very strange to be talking about um, the doom and gloom of winter, but um, it is coming. Because <laughs> I suppose, uh, I mean, that kind of £12 an hour pledge would come in from April next year, I think. So it's almost this kind of, you're getting this kind of wider sense of the problems in the NHS, kind of various difficulties that Hamza Yusuf is grappling with, the UK government are grappling with. And at the same time, money seems to be, you know, it's never been more of an issue in some ways. It just seems to be incredibly tight and there's this substantial black hole in the Scottish government's budget. I mean, Hamza Yusuf is obviously going to have to make some tough decisions in that budget. 
How, how do you think he might approach that? Do you think he'll have difficulty kind of selling that if he has to go down the route of tax rises by justifying it in the sense, you know, we have to pay for public services somehow? I think um, that's going to be the argument. If he does raise taxes, it's going to be, look how bad the public services are struggling right now with. But I think if there was to be significant tax increases, that's obviously going to hit on individual families very hard. And I think they're going to want to see some quite immediate results from that because um, we all know right now people are struggling to get doctor's appointments, struggling to get dentist appointments, waiting lists for inpatients are really long, there's a fear of potentially how long you're going to have to wait at A&E for example. All of these things people are going to be very resentful of having to pay more tax for unless they can very quickly see that kind of thing being solved. I think, um, because I know if, um, if I suddenly was able to get doctors and dentist appointments whenever I wanted or needed, I wouldn't mind paying more tax, I suppose, would I? <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be interesting in the weeks ahead. I mean, I think there was a sense of perhaps some disappointment around the programme for government. Maybe people expecting a bit more fireworks. There wasn't that many surprises. Um, I think that Labour line, that some of it was rehashed. Certainly some of those big policy announcements were things we knew were coming. They mm. weren't a particular surprise. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Humza Yusuf addresses that and kind of continues to build on that in the in the months to come. I mean, he really does have to kind of carve out his own niche in politics. He's very much seen as the continuity candidate, someone who's taken on Nicola Sturgeon's mantle and he needs to become his own man, I think. And I think he probably, he knows that himself, but he's, it's a tricky balancing act when the public finances are so tight. Of course, it's not just Holyrood that's returned from its summer recess. Our Westminster correspondent, Alexander Brown, has the latest from down south. Hello and welcome back to the Westminster section of the podcast. And since we last spoke, it has been the most Westminster time that ever did Westminster. There is a schools crisis with hundreds all over the country having a concrete, which means they are very unsafe and could collapse at any moment. The Tory government tried to get ahead of this by saying, and used posting a picture that said, most schools unaffected, which is very encouraging. And the Prime Minister himself saying, 95% of schools are not affected, which of course means 1 in 20 are. This is just an absolute disaster for the government who now can't open schools. With the return of PMQs, the Prime Minister tried to defend himself over this and accused Labour of never asking questions about this before, which unfortunately for him was a lie because it was mentioned in a speech by Keir Starmer just two months ago, which he would know if he listened to Keir Starmer, which admittedly is a difficult thing to do. It can get quite dry. And beyond that, we also had the Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan, having her very own thick of it moment where she was caught in a hot mic saying... Does no one ever effing say thank you and what a good job you've done because everybody else was sat on their ass? Now, I am no expert on political optics, but that seems very, very bad. She's now under pressure to go. That won't happen. Downing Street said they've got complete faith in her. But that frustration speaks to the general mood of the Conservative Party that everything is going wrong. They cannot catch a break. And, you know, given uh, school repair funding has been cut by 2.2 billion on their watch, it's pretty clear who's to blame. Beyond that, we have had Chris Pincher finally standing down after reports from the parliamentary committee found that he had groped two men. So despite the fact everyone in Westminster has known or heard allegations about him, 
for basically ever, he now will stand down as an MP. Just allowed to work there with people not feeling safe for a very long time because that's how Westminster works. If that wasn't enough Westminster chaos, we also had the SNP MP Chris Law getting a telling off in the Commons for saying Labour and the Tories are two cheeks of the same arse. After being told off for that, he then downgraded it and said, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, it's two cheeks of the same bottom. This is where we are. It's a very silly school full of big kids in suits. Long may it continue. Look forward to more madness next week. Thank you so much for listening. Obviously, this is our first podcast back after the summer, so we probably have to mention uh, the Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election. It's obviously a major by-election coming up very soon. Quite a key one in the sense that it's important for both Scottish Labour and the SNP. Scottish Labour are obviously desperate to win it because it would show their kind of growing momentum uh, ahead of uh, an expected general election next year. Uh, the SNP obviously also keen to win it because uh, Hamza Yusuf is a new first minister. He doesn't want to be seen to lose a, a by-election straight away. He's also got the part where well, the wider party has a number of difficulties they're grappling with, that police investigation, that sense that they're kind of losing momentum, that they're perhaps on the way out in Scottish politics. It's a crucial election for both of them. But we now have a date for it, don't we? Yes, we do. It feels like we've been talking about this by-election for a long, long time, but we actually only got the date for it this this week, and it's to be the 5th of October. So not far off, actually, when you think about it. I feel like October, to me, seems like a long way away, but it's actually only next month. Um, so it's very close. Um, and as you said, there's a lot of pressure on both Labour and the SNP for this by-election, because I mean, it could perhaps set the scene for what might happen next year at the general election. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens with it. But I, I'm expecting to see the the news stories coming out of it to ramp up quite a bit from now on. Yeah. And what have you thought about it so far in terms of... I know we, we've only kind of officially entered the campaigning period very recently, but it, as you say, it has been going on for months now. I think all of us have been out to Rutherglen a number of times, probably going to get quite sick of the place. No offence to Rutherglen <laughs> in, the, in the weeks to come. But how have you thought about how it's going so far and what it's looking like for, for both those main parties? Well, there was a poll out this um, this week, which, again, as other polls have shown, it does show that the Labour Party and the SNP are kind of neck and neck. It is very, very tight between them right now. So it, it's almost difficult to predict what will happen in this by-election. It could genuinely go either way, couldn't it? Because sometimes with by-elections or election results in certain constituencies, you almost know exactly what's going to happen. It does take the excitement away from it a little bit whereas there is a bit more drama to this one because it is so tight. So, yes, it's been going on a long time. Yes, there's still a few weeks to go, but I think there's a bit more excitement about this one. Yeah, I mean, there certainly seems to be a sense that there's an expectation that Labour will win it. But in a way, that kind of expectation can be dangerous sometimes if it, you know, creates complacency or a kind of sense that the, they've got it in the bag. Maybe yeah. the public wouldn't like that. Perhaps. Um, I know that Angela Rayner, the UK Labour's deputy leader, she was in Scotland a few months ago and she was saying, you know, that's been a problem for Labour in the past in Scotland. They 
got complacent. They they just thought, well, that's it. We, we, we will get Scotland. And that's how they ended up losing Scotland. So I think the party, the Labour Party, anyway, know that themselves. They know they can't just sit back and wait for them to win because that might not be the case at all. And I think that they are very conscious of that fact. So I don't think anyone's going to sit back and rest on this one, especially not in Labour or the SNP. Yeah, and I know it's obviously important for both of them, but I think in a way it's more important for Scottish Labour because mm. it's almost... It's kind of Keir Starmer's parties to lose in a way. There is that expectation that they'll win. I think if they don't win, all that talk of there being this growing momentum behind them and this kind of Labour revival in Scotland will be cast into doubt a little bit. I think it'd be really, really difficult for Anna Sarwar. They'd need to certainly go back to the drawing board and come up with a different plan of how they're going to do their campaigning. Um, because as you said, it, it, it is theirs to lose at the moment. Um, and Anna Sarwar is doing very well in the polls, he's very popular with people, he's very personable. So yeah, they would need to very much go back to the drawing board and start again from scratch when it comes to how they're going to run their campaign in Scotland. Yeah, and it's exactly the kind of seat that they should be winning, that kind of former heartland, you could say, uh, a relatively slim majority, I think it's 5,000 and something. Uh, obviously, Margaret Ferrier, the former SNP MP who held the seat, has resigned, well, was ousted by her constituents in a recall petition in uh, some disgrace after breaking COVID rules. So it's got all these like factors that are coalescing around it that are to Labour's advantage, you would think. Uh, and certainly, you know, I was interviewing Katie Loudon this week and she was saying that she's the SNP candidate. She was saying that Labour are extremely keen to keep drawing attention to Margaret Ferrier uh, because they know that's potentially yeah. working for them. Well, to, to get her removed as the MP, um, I think it was, was it 10,000 signatures, 11,000 signatures that was needed? I think it was, uh, perhaps it, wrong, I think it was 8,000 or something oh, like that, I don't know. Fair enough. That could be wrong. Um, it was certainly a good chunk of people had to sign this recall petition, which is interesting because you couldn't do this online. You had to actually physically go out of your house and go to a public building to sign it in person. Or do a postal vote. Exactly, so it was, it was something that you really had to go out of your way to do, and the fact that so many of them did shows there is a lot of anger in that constituency when it comes to Margaret Ferrier. And there'll be a lot of people who will sort of tie Margaret Ferrier and the SNP completely together when it comes to their voting intentions. So I can completely understand why Labour are using that tactic. It's what the constituents were thinking anyway when they ousted her, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's actually four weeks today that will take place. I think it's Thursday, October the 5th. Again, it'll be fascinating to see what happens there. Sadly, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, but please join us next week when actually I'll be on holiday. I'll be Ooh. sunning up in France in Ooh, a kind of badly timed holiday. But Connor Matchett, who usually hosts the podcast, will be back. Rachel, you'll obviously be here as well. In the meantime, please sign up for our brand new politics newsletter in your inbox every weekday. All the things you need to know about Scottish politics uh, and some stuff you probably didn't even think you needed to know. But please sign up for that. I think it's... It's on the website, isn't it? You can go into that. Yes. So um, if you either go onto the newsletter tab or onto the politics tab on the Scotsman's website, there'll be a box where you can put your email address in and that will be all you need to do. Great. Well, thanks very much. And thank you, Rachel. 